when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Patch, and with me as always is my best friend, co-host and grandmaster himself, Aaron. Oh, grandmaster even. Well, hello. (laughs) This week, we are getting back into the theater as we tackle the first of two highly anticipated superhero films, Thor Ragnarok. I always like to say, just did it it rock? You know, I don't know if people, anyway, if that's an old joke or not. But anyway, the joke's... We're flying. People were dying. And I'm anxious to see where we both landed on our movie experience. But before we do that, Aaron, my friend, what have you been up to this week? Well, I would like to know where Thor landed because I don't think that's ever fully explained in the end. I don't know because I didn't get to see the end of the movie. Oh, that's true. Because <laughs> my screening cut off. cut off before the end of the movie. You had to read spoilers. <laughs> so after after uh, we get into the spoiler part here, you'll have to tell me what the last like three, four minutes of, of Thor Ragnarok was. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> well, I have been doing well, man. I've been busy. Um, It's going to just stay busy for me over the next month as I prepare for awards season the seattle film critics society awards are coming up and so we are being inundated with films that everyone wants us to consider for awards it's, it's kind of crazy to be honest you know I, i've always watched a lot of movies uh, on my own but i've always been able to use the oscar nominations as a driving force so whatever i didn't see the oscar noms come out and then i watched those movies right but now i'm kind of in a group where I'm one of the ones who's setting that tone and that standard for what other people should watch because they don't have the time, which means that I have to watch some stuff that sometimes I just don't like. And sometimes I have to, you know, go through two or three movies that are not worthy of being nominated, but you got to watch them to find out. Right. And so it's just, it's been busy. Uh, it's been a busy, busy time, but it's fun and it's exciting. And this week I got to take some time off from watching new movies to watch an old one. Uh, our group here held a special screening, uh, as did many theaters across the country, for a movie called The Room, which I know that you have seen. Uh, have. You have. And shockingly, uh, I had not. So when this screening appeared on the schedule, it was everybody told me, Aaron, you have to go see this movie, and it's perfect opportunity because you're going to get to see it in person with a crowd it's going to be this interactive crazy experience and you're going to love it because it's the worst movie ever made but it's awesome at the same time so fascinating Uh, it just it was i I went into it having no idea what to expect to be honest so i roll up at the screening and the first thing they do is they give us some spoons and footballs little foam footballs and I mean lots of spoons, like plastic spoons. They're like, there's like thousands and they're just like, take as many as you want. I'm like, why do I need the spoons? Then they give me these little cards and on the cards, it says, every time you see a picture of the spoon, throw a spoon. I'm like, what, what is, what is going on here? Every time you see Tommy and Johnny play catch, throw a football with your friend in the aisle. And I'm like, what? This is okay. This is bonkers. I have no idea what is happening right now, but I, 
went in, you know, everybody sat down. It's, there was, it was, the energy in the room was amazing because we had this awesome intro by one of our radio personalities who is great just at, you know, taking a crowd and building up the energy. He's a big, big fan of the movie. Gave us some trivia and background about how the movie costs like six million to make. And to this day, no one knows where that money came from. No one knows where Tommy Wasu, Wasso, was it Wasu or Wasso? I think it's Wasso. Okay. Well, nobody knows where Tommy came from. And uh, then there was the fact that he put this billboard up in Hollywood like five years before the movie and it cost like $5,000 a month. Nobody knows how that was paid for, but it was just this weird marketing. And it, it seems to be this situation where there's this movie made and this guy's just, this guy's weird. He is, he is legit crazy, I think. And he believes that he's doing this and making a piece of art that is honest and true to himself. But I really truly don't get the impression that he's in on the joke. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's forced fake because you know you can watch spoofs and parts of the room feel like they would be in a spoof but if you watch the whole thing it it doesn't it just it truly seems like maybe this is what he thought was the right way to make a movie and so there's this awesome introduction before it uh with james franco and tommy having a conversation they're introducing the film uh for the audience uh, because James Franco plays Tommy in the upcoming movie, The Disaster Artist, that we're releasing in early December, I think. And they have this fun little talk where James is recounting a story at the premiere. He goes up to Tommy and says, hey, you know, what did you think of the movie? And he says, I was really nervous because, you know, I wanted you to like my movie because it's about you. And what did you tell me? And Tommy says, well, I liked 99.9% .9 of it. And James is like, well, what was the 0.1% that you didn't like. And he said, you didn't, your form throwing the football was wrong. That's not how I throw the football. <laughs> and, oh and Franco is losing it, right? Like he is trying so hard to control himself. And, uh, it was just, it was awesome. They, they, they keep going back and forth laughing. And, um, he says, what do you think about, you know, your movie? And Tommy says, it was the, about the American dream. And Franco's like, wait, your movie's about the American dream? He's like, it's my movie's about the American dream. Your movie is the opposite of the American dream. <laughs> and so just, it's this awesome dynamic. And I, I watched it. I threw lots of spoons. I, I learned what the spoon was for. I, I almost, I guess I can't spoil it because I don't know how, when there's ever going to be screenings of this again, but, um, there, apparently they, they had this picture of a spoon in their house in the apartment that the movie is mostly set in. And it's there because, when they bought the picture from Home Depot or Hobby Lobby or wherever, it's a stock photo of a spoon. They didn't take it out and change it. They just left the picture of the spoon up. And so anytime you see that in a scene, everybody in the audience yells, spoon, and just starts chucking plastic spoons around the theater. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Same thing happening with the, the footballs. And just all throughout the movie, there's like a card that tells you what to yell. Clearly people had done this before and had their own things. And there's times when you don't even get to hear the dialogue because people are kind of yelling over it, but it, it was just this communal, hilarious experience. Unlike anything I have ever been to in my life when it comes to a movie. And so it was awesome. The movie is truly the worst movie ever made. I, I actually think that that's true. It is 
bad. It is really, really, really bad, but it is also so funny in its in its badness. Uh, but it was it was a great one, man. It was it was so cool, and I'm glad that I got to see it like that for the first time. There's an interesting thing that happens, I think, in the world of like maybe pop culture, art, whatever, where uh, pieces of art, which I mean, you could call this that. It's an awful piece of art. They kind of transcend their own. I don't know what you'd call it. Their own, their own ego or whatever. And, you know, you can call films like really bad. I've seen some dialogue happen. Um, I know Jeremy Kokaro on our, in our Facebook group was talking about the, uh, you know, episode three of star Wars and particularly like the, you know, the third act is, is decent, but the first two thirds are awful and how there's a lot of flack for the first two and all these, there are movies out there that get that kind of reputation. Man, it's the worst movie ever made. It's truly awful. The room like it transcends awful. Like it transcends just being critically bad, productively bad to a point where it even transcends being a great bad movie. Like so bad it's good. So there's like these, that was an awful movie that was so bad. It's good. And then there's an, it's ready for MST three K to take a crack at. And then there's the room, which I think is just on its own level. And I remember when I'd seen it and heard so much about it and finally saw it and read all this, you know, this little research on it. Apparently Tommy Wasaw initially built it as a drama, you know, as, as a whatever. And he has since gone back and has called it a, a dark comedy or a, a black comedy or whatever it is in the same vein as like, you know, the, like Fargo or something. Now what that tells me, is that he's sort of embraced the awfulness that is the room yes, because right. it's given him fame. It's given him this weird kind of credibility, not as a filmmaker, but as a celebrity. And so I, I look at that and I go, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, as an, as a amateur filmmaker, I never want that kind of fame. Um, I do anticipate having films like the room produce as a result of growing in you know, filmmaking, it's just part of the growth. But when you kind of stop at that one and that's like your only film, I wouldn't want that to be my legacy in terms of being a filmmaker. Now for being a pop star, fantastic. Yeah. That's going to be my legacy. I'm the new weird Al Yankovic by accident kind of thing. But I, I just, wow. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, like a weird Al Yankovic that he's intelligent. He's smart. He is using his creativity to be that way on purpose. The room, it's, I did not get that impression at all. No, you don't at all. I mean, it's legitimately not good. Like I can see it being built as a drama. Very much so. Like, yeah. I can understand why he would think that in his twisted, confused brain. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm super excited now for The Disaster Artist with yeah, Franco. And Franco's brother is in it. Oh, I think I, we both love Franco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dave's great. Especially back in Nerve, you and I kind of yeah. really fell in love with him at that one. But... um. Yeah, I just I'm I'm seeing the disaster artist next week, so I'll have thoughts oh. on that one, and I'm I'm pumped. Uh, I I just it's it's such a wild experience, you know, and I I wasn't prepared, but well. and, and anybody like me who's made it 38 years of your life and has not seen the room, go seek it out. It's time. It is time well, to. And I'm a li- I'm a little jealous that there's a screening that has that kind of participation because I've only seen it, you know, in the confines of my own house, so it's not like I had to get that experience of. You know, the the footballs and the spoon. So I feel a little left out on that one. 
Yeah, it's it just every time anybody walks in the house, they never seem to close the door ever. If you I mean it's it's why it's it's actually almost like it's like they can't possibly be this stupid to not ever close the door. And so the whole movie long, every time somebody walks in, the entire theater was just close the dang door, like screaming into like at the I mean it's yeah, I I really highly recommend anytime if you ever have one roll around, go see this movie in a crowd. Heck, just get a whole bunch of friends together that have seen it and watch it together as a group, and you could do this at home. But for sure, yeah, that's 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 the biggest highlight of my my week. Well, what about you? Highlight. Um, well, back in the day, I got a chance to see a movie called Chef, a John Favreau directed um, dramedy, I guess you could call it, and excellent felt, film. It is, and it grew on me. I didn't. I liked it quite a bit the first time. It's grown on me. I had some issues with the ending. Um, and you and I have talked about that offline. Minor issues, but it's one that's worth rewatching. And so I got to be kind of obsessed with the art of filming cooking uh, because there are so many scenes in, in that particular movie of him making something, you know, the opening sequence with him cutting the pig. And, uh, my favorite scene with him making that grilled cheese. Like every time I see it, I want grilled cheese. I want a Cuban every time I start like tasting it. This is true. Yeah. And I remember looking up that particular scene because, you know, you can find anything on the internet and anything on video on YouTube that you you're thinking about. And I ran across a clip for another movie that I don't know if it had come out already or if it was coming out. And uh, so I guess this was maybe a year and a half ago. So maybe it just came out, but it was on limited release called burnt yet another movie about a guy who cooks. That's a one word title. In fact, when I was looking up some of the uh, stuff on IMDb for like the cast and stuff, it says people who liked this also liked, and it was just a series of other movies that had one word in them. Joy, Aloha, intern. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I guess one word movies are fantastic, <laughs> but burnt in particular was one that I'd had on my radar and I told myself, Hey, when it comes available at some point, I want to watch it. And Netflix graciously said, Hey, there's some new movies out there. Since you like chef, you might like, and it shows up in my queue. So immediately I put it in my list. And after our um, episode last week, I decided to pop it in. It stars Bradley Cooper and uh, Sienna Miller. They're the two main characters. It's also got uh, Daniel Brühl, if I remember correctly, like, um, and some other char- some other actors I don't know the names of, or I don't know them from other movies. But another actress that um, I think you might know, Emma Thompson, and then one more that I think you and I both adore, uh, Alicia Vikander. Yes, yes, who- yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I started watching this, uh, everyone who's listening right now, I, I, I shot a text to Aaron. I said, Hey, I'm watching a movie with Alicia Vikander in here that you haven't seen. And you're like, what? <laughs> we need to make that right. Anyway, I digress. Uh, this is a movie, uh, Bradley Cooper's this, uh, the chef who has, he was up and coming. He was making a name for himself and he ended up getting burnt out. Uh, he went on a path of drugs, alcohol ended up kind of, kind of losing it. And the story picks up with him trying to get um, what's called a, a third star. So in the world of, I guess, international, maybe it's European cuisine. There's this group called the Michelin men. It's these groups of, uh, of food critics that come in 
and based on your food, the way it's plated, uh, all this different stuff, how your restaurant is, they rate you a one, two, or a three star. And of course, a three star is the highest. And so this movie centers around Cooper's character. Um, his name is Adam Jones, trying to build his reputation back up. He's been sober for a couple of years. He's um, all these different, you know, say I'm clean. I haven't done this. I'm not, you know, I'm not a womanizing anymore, all these different things. And so the whole movie is just his progression and figuring out how to become uh, not only a great chef, but discovering more about who he is. I mean, I guess you could call it coming of age, but it's really more of a drama that's centered around his progression and trying to understand what it means to be a real chef. What I enjoyed about this were not only the, obviously the cooking uh, moments, uh, you know, cause I, with chef, I became a big fan but there are some really, really great conversations between him and Sienna Miller, uh, who I, I think I pronounce her, she pronounces her name Helene, Helen, Helene, maybe. But um, Alicia Vikander's character, Anne Marie, plays a, it's not a significant role in terms of her screen time, but it's a significant role in his life as a, as a character. And so by the time you get to the end of the movie, I I was kind of on the fence, like, do I like this? Do I not? I mean, it doesn't resolve in certain places. And then the last act, the, the third act, really, really picks up. And and I remember there's a moment in the movie that for me I didn't see coming. And so when it happens, you're like, uh, I remember myself specifically going, "Oh my, what what just happened?" So I um, and then seeing how that plays out and how it leads to the the resolution of the film. It's just, it's pretty fantastic. The cast is wonderful. There is the, the screenplay is full of F bombs, but if you can get through that, it's very much a visceral movie. Like he, he, he kind of channels his inner Ramsey in some scenes during the, uh, during the kitchen scenes uh, to a point where I was getting a little scared. I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know that I could work for him. And to see how people react to him, just calling him chef. Yes, chef. Right away, chef. Um, just kind of getting into that culture a little bit. It makes me want to kind of sit in and watch the culinary arts take place in some of the, uh, not even the five-star, you know, five-star restaurants or anything, just in some of the bigger name restaurants and just see how the, see how the kitchen works. And that's what was different from a movie like Chef, which was about a guy trying to start over and doing something different and being somewhat more of like the, the people's, chef or whatever this is high end and it's um it's it's one of those that i don't connect with him in terms of like yeah i know what it's like to be in a five-star restaurant or whatever but his character and the way in which he reacts to these other characters um causes me to really connect with him at some point if it ever comes on as a as a mini so i'd love for us to do something like that i'd love for i'd love to talk to you about it and see what you think but if if it's online, offline, or whatever, I think you'd I think you might enjoy it for, if for no other reason than Alicia Vikander's in it. So, yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely planning on watching it for that reason alone, and I'm intrigued now that you've talked about it. I I loved I loved Chef, and I'm pretty sure that you turned me on to that one too. So, um, you've you've done well so well, far. Good. <laughs> yeah, I would. Well, say. it's on Netflix as of this recording. So, if you get a chance to check it out, please do. It's only like I think just under two hours. So yeah. Yeah. I will, uh, I will probably do that. I, I put it on my, wish my wish list on my watch list 
my things to watch that is largely not going to be tackled until after the middle of December. Right. Uh, but when it gets to that point, I definitely want to see it. Well, good deal, man. Um, glad to catch up a little bit. So without further ado, how about we get into some Thor Ragnarok? Oh, hi, Thor. What? <laughs> As always, we're going to be spoiling the heck out of this movie. Um, some would say that the trailer spoiled some of the big parts, which I would probably agree with in some ways, but for from a different kind of reason, and we'll probably get into that. But before uh, before we get into the, the big stuff, just want to let you know, here's what happens. Where did you end the movie? <laughs> or where did your screening stop? Well, we were watching along, and we have left Asgard, or whatever was left of Asgard. Physical Asgard, not people Asgard. A touching moment. And we're flying away in the spaceship, and Korg makes a joke about, I don't even remember what he said now, but he makes a joke about the destruction of Asgard, essentially, and then it cuts out. And I don't okay. remember what happens. I feel like somebody sits in, I think Thor sits in a throne of some sort at some point. He sits in the captain's chair much I like. can't hear any dialogue being spoken, okay. so all I heard so was like- Maria Menudos. <laughs> Talking about. With uh, Thor playing in the background. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, what you missed was not much. You missed uh, essentially Thor basically saying, Hey, let's go back to earth. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the captain now kind of thing, or I'm the, I'm the king, uh, with his, you know, with his one eye and they just kind of take off. And then, um, it's one of those things where it goes to the credits and then we get the kind of the Thanos tease. Um, I think I think it's Thor and maybe it's Loki. I can't even remember. But then there's this big spaceship that's sitting outside their spaceship, and then it cuts to black, and then the final, the second, the second uh, credit sequence is um, is the uh, the Grandmaster coming out of this this machine or this this rocket or something, basically saying, "Ha." It worked. I'm glad we were able to um, get again a forgettable thing. I, I mean, it was it was a fun, it was just more in line with who Jeff Goldman was. He was basically saying, "Yes, my plan worked to perfection, and uh, I'm glad that we were all able to get rid of him once and for all." And good job, everyone. Okay, let's go. And then it cuts to you know who's him? Who who Thor? Is, oh, okay. Weird. I guess I don't, I don't remember exactly. So okay. me not remembering is partly due to the fact that I'm not good at remembering those things and partly due to the fact of my reaction to the movie as a whole. So with that being said, let's kind of talk about that. What were your expectations going into this? I know that we initially didn't have it on the schedule. And then at one point we said we're putting Thor on the schedule. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of toyed with the idea of just, you know, defaulting to just doing all of the comic book movies. And we probably will out of, because they're what people are talking about. And so whether we enjoy them as much as everybody or not, it's something to have a conversation about. And they do, they do generate conversation for a couple of weeks at a time. And so this one got on the schedule because we both were kind of excited about the style. 
we thought it looked very unique and different than anything we'd seen so far from the MCU or DC, uh, either one. And on top of that, they, you alluded to this just a minute ago, but they teased out, uh, and the planet Hulk storyline might kind of tie into this. Hulk was going to be a part of this movie. It wasn't just going to be a Thor movie. And that got us both very excited. I know I'm speaking for you, but I know it's true. Uh, because you and I both really enjoy that. And so that was what had me the most excited is the planet. I love Planet Hulk. There's an animated movie for it that is wonderful. And I would urge anybody who's even remotely interested in what they saw to go watch that because it's really cool and, and it's a lot more deep than what you see here, but it's neat. And I thought, you know, okay, we're not going to get a Hulk solo movie apparently. So it's, it might be good to have some Hulk in this one as well. And I'm willing to give this this a shot as a straight comedy because I know uh, Taika Waititi. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. So, yeah. But uh, I know his films are so comedic in nature and I enjoy them. And so I thought, well, I like the guy's jokes. And so it should be an entertaining watch at the very least. I haven't hated any superhero film I've seen. I am my expect, but that was my expectations. They were not for this to be the best superhero movie I've ever seen. And that's partially because of knowing it was going to be a straight comedy going into it. And also that that's not what I particularly love the most out of the superhero genre, but also just out of that superhero burnout that, that I have a lot of right now. So, you know, I, I thought it would be a fun time at the movies and that's what I got was a fun time at the movies. I took my kids. We laughed the whole time through the screening. We looked at each other, poked each other. We, we thought it was a lot of fun. And the next morning I forgot half of the movie and I is what it is, you know? So yeah. what about you? Well, yeah, you're exactly right. When I saw Hulk come out in the trailer, I think we both immediately said it's going back on the schedule because you and I are big fans of the character. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the big guy as he's called and the planet Hulk storyline. It's a fantastic storyline. One that I'm actually tempted to read again here in the, in the next few weeks uh, because of, of this movie. And I, I didn't see Thor dark world. Okay. So at the time of the movies that were coming out, Thor was obviously not high on my list. He's not a character that I necessarily cared about, but I did enjoy the first one. And Chris Hemsworth is great in the role. And the things that were being set up for the Avengers at the time through his movie were really, really fantastic. So the dark world, for some reason, just kind of, I don't know, missed my radar. And I guess it was maybe six months ago, I was trying to catch up on some movies that I'd missed. And I remember talking to you a little bit about, hey, here's some superhero movies that I've missed out on. And I mentioned Wolverine and Thor and I think another one. And you said, yeah, do Thor last because it's not Thor Dark World is not. It's OK. And that seems to be the consensus that it wasn't a very I mean, it was fine. You know, and for the MCU, fine is, you know, cash cow. So whatever. So going into this one, I didn't know what to expect. I expected Hulk and I expected a couple of really great jokes and that last shot in the trailer of them kind of jumping at each other is just comic book worthy. Like it's just right out of it's, it's a splash page, you know, full page spread in a comic book. So going into it, 
I kind of expected it to be on par with most other Marvel films. And in a lot of ways it was, there was a lot of great comedy. There was action. There was a lot of comedy. There was some character development. There was a lot of comedy. And I started seeing a pattern of like, okay, here's a joke. Okay. Here's another joke. Okay. Here's another joke. Okay. I'm laughing. I'm having a great time with it. And at some point I'm almost being distracted by the other part of the movie that's happening, which is everything happening on Asgard. And that's when I started realizing, am I watching two movies here? Am I watching two things happen? I'm watching this world that Thor is living on quite literally that's being basted in lots of jokes and colors and, and fun and just high action. And it's kind of, kind of put adjacent to this world of dark Asgard and people are dying and, and brooding villain. And I've seen that before, but I've seen it done more cohesively. I've seen it be more of like a blend as opposed to really literally feeling like we're on two worlds. Now, if that was the point, then kudos to, to YTT for doing that because that's exactly what I felt, but it felt inconsistent. It felt like at one point when I was trying to care about a character, we shot to a joke or we shot to um, another scene where something else was happening. And by the end of the movie, what I got was really kind of a meh storyline that was kind of filled with all these jokes that I felt like were trying to distract me. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized I don't really like this movie all that much. It was fine and it was funny, but funny does not a good movie make. And if you have to rely on one form of narrative, whether it's all comedy or all drama or whatever, you're going to get mixed reactions. Um, Manchester by the Sea is a great example. There was no levity in that movie at all. And I can't watch it again because of that. Did I enjoy it? No. Was it a good movie? I think so. <laughs> but in that same regard, I think comic book films, and particularly Marvel, have had that ability to kind of give that combination, to have that balance of a good story with drama, with action, with comedy that leads you to not only laughing, but caring about characters caring about the progression of those characters. And I felt like this was lacking in those last two pieces. I felt like it had all the jokes, but it didn't have the character development. It didn't have the agency or the the care factor that I've been kind of used to in the Marvel cinematic universe. Wait, the, you didn't have the care factor that you've been used to in the Marvel cinematic universe. Like what movies have had a huge care factor out of curiosity? I, I think uh, to me, I think civil war, Oh, not Civil War, but uh, Winter Soldier comes to mind. It does. And, and in, in a lot of ways, um, some of the Guardians 2, Guardians Volume 2, I think had a surprisingly mm -hmm. decent amount of character arcs and character ends that made me feel empathy. For right. It. It made me feel loss. As but, opposed, but but it had a ton of jokes in it that I was laughing. So I, I, I'm just trying to figure out how can you give me – guardians volume two and then give me this and you know you have both of those components one just feels a lot heavier than the other 
Well, yeah, I mean, different directors, obviously. True, different. True. They they wanted to go a different direction with this. And I, I think largely the reason this one is the way it is, this is the one that YTD gets a chance to do, is because the Thor franchise was like the forgotten stepchild, right? Like, if you look at... I'm looking at my Marvel rankings right now, and all the other movies, even the, even the Hulk, like, I have higher... I don't have both Hulk movies down there, but, like, as far as... Solo films go, both Thor movies are usually down at the bottom of people's lists. And so the only way to really kind of break people out of that, I think, is to go different and go unique. And there was an opportunity to do that, and they did some fun stuff. Um, like you, I had serious problems with character development and character issues. I mean, from the very beginning, it just... The, the the only reason that any of this stuff happens is because Thor accidentally lands when falling out of the, the when he's going up on the Bifrost to go to get back to Asgard and it gets it gets cut off. He he accidentally lands on the planet. It, uh, if he had not landed there, if he had landed on any other of the, I you know, millions of worlds that potentially exist in this universe there would have been no Hulk. There would have been no Valkyrie. There would have been no saving Asgard. <laughs> and so it's really convenient that he perfectly lands in the place that he needs to. Oh, and Loki's already there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. so convenient that, that I was like, all right, well, there's no, he didn't have to do anything to get there. He gets randomly picked up by Valkyrie and taken in. So he just kind of happenstance ends up in the arena and from there, yes, they have to go and they have to actually make some choices and, and people have to decide to come along for the saving aspect of the story. Mm-hmm. And there, there are some character arcs, you know, and, but for the most part, yeah, it's, it's the problem I have with it is that everything is a joke. Everything. One of the biggest examples of this for me is Banner's character and he's given not much to do here other than to be funny in Hulk form. But when there's two instances that I will point to that, that really sum the whole movie up for me, whole experience. One is on, and I can't remember the name of the planet, by the way, that uh, the grandmaster is on. So if anybody in the chat knows that, feel free to put it in there. But there's one moment where Thor and Hulk or banner are talking and they're having this real serious conversation and Banner's talking about how he might not ever be able to go be the Hulk again, because if he does, he doesn't think he can come back out of it. And it's interrupted by jokes. And then they're set off on paths, uh, you know, they're running around through the city and, and all this stuff is happening. And that is then re- revisited at the end of the film when Banner is on the ship and he makes this incredibly, incredibly important decision to go and help save Asgard. He's going to join the fight. He's going to become the Hulk. And the gravity of this decision, man, by what the film has told us earlier, is that he is taking a risk knowingly that he may never be able to come out of Hulk form again by doing this. And he runs and he jumps off. And what happens? He lands and hits the bridge and bounces, and it's a joke. Mm-hmm. And that, to be honest, that moment 
ruined the movie for me. Like I, at that point I was like, well, I can't care about you anymore because they've taken this, they've tried, they've, they've, they're trying to, you, you kind of want to dabble, like I said, by giving us that piece where Bruce has that conversation and tells us how important this is. But then you take that moment and you turn it into a joke. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I couldn't handle that. I was, it was really upsetting to me and I don't like movies like that. I need you to, if you're going to give me the buildup for some sort of weight, then you have to follow through with that weight. And I, you know what? If you want to be a comedy and don't give me that level of weight, then don't do that. That's mm-hmm. fine. Don't put Asgard's entire existence on the table. Okay. But you talked about this, right? How the two, the, it's like a, it's like watching two movies. You, you watch the one, the humorful movie, and then we cut to Asgard and Hela's walking around all serious and we're supposed to suddenly transition into this feeling of absolute fear and concern for the citizens of Asgard. But everything that happens turns out to be something funny. And it's just, I it's just, I don't know. It's just so tonally uneven. And I think we live in a culture where people want short bursts of laughter and color and fun. And that's all they care about. So let, so let me ask you this, you know, some moviegoers when they, for comic book films specifically, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. So as a film, I know that there are a lot of people who would make the, I say a lot of people I've, I've seen comments from people when, when talking about Ragnarok, they say, look, it's just a fun movie. Why does it have to be anything more than that? Which is, you know, it's, I mean, I, I, that's valid justification for it being a quote, good movie. And when we talk about good movies, we talk about subjectivity here with the exception of maybe the room there. Most movies are subjectively good or not good. Like I could enjoy this one and it could be one that you don't enjoy. But I think, uh, but but I'm going to ask that question. Does, does the humor of the film and the way in which the movie takes place, the enjoyment factor of it from a humor standpoint, does it justify it being, um, is that considered good? Like if you, if you, if you went into it saying, Hey, this is going to be a comedy. Would, would that satisfy the moviegoer in saying, Hey, it's a, it's a comedy. So in that regard, then yes, all the jokes landed out, laughed out loud. And so it was a successfully good movie for me. I mean, what do you say to the person who says that? I think that's fine. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to take away anyone's enjoyment of a film and I, and I would never, and especially, honestly, especially with this one, I would never from a critical standpoint, tell you you're wrong for enjoying Thor Ragnarok as much as you do. If people want to enjoy it and watch it and get that out of it, I get, I think it, I think we're in a place now, however many, I mean, this is like number 16, I think from the MCU Mm -hmm. and we've gotten, you know, four ish now movies into the DC universe. And that doesn't count all of the previous superheroes movies we've had in the history. Um, but we're at a place now where we have people who want one style of movie from their superheroes. They want gravity. They want, Mm-hmm. Them, they want they want wait for their actions. They want consequences. They want to, frankly, see some of them die if necessary. But like they want to see there be a level of humanity, 
And then we have others who are just fine living in, which is fine with mm-hmm. like well, comic book world, you know, where they just die and come back the next epi- you know, issue mm-hmm. and are reborn as a different version of themselves or whatever the case may be. But they're just yeah. more fun and lighthearted and they don't take anything seriously. Yeah. And there's people that like that and that's fine, but that's not me. <laughs> right. Well, and I agree with that. I also agree with the fact that when you are crafting a universe, and I'm using the word universe very heavily here, you are setting up rules, you're creating expectations, and when you're 16 movies in, you've crafted a character and the world that character lives in in such a way that I feel like Ragnarok deviates from. Now, I'm not going to say that Thor acted out of character, and I'm not saying that his humor was inconsistent with what it's been in the past, but his actions and the way in which he approached things, while hilarious, felt a lot like a parody of Thor as opposed to the character acting like Thor. I I didn't expect it to be highly dramatic. And I don't, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the camp of when it comes to one property versus another, <laughs> having those kinds of differences, having brooding dark in one world where stakes are high and having lighthearted action with some drama thrown in here. And I feel like the word dissonance comes to mind when it comes to Thor. Dissonance from in this movie from other films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and dissonance in the movie with these two worlds that were being crafted. When you have one planet that is full of life and color and humor and another planet that's dying. And when you try to, when you try to bring those two worlds together in a third act of a film and you have moments like the Hulk or banner potentially hulking up and, and, you know, attempting to have these stakes that eventually literally fall flat with a joke. That's where I get frustrated because on a bigger notion, the movie itself doesn't feel consistent with other films in the Marvel cinematic universe. And within the film, it feels inconsistent story-wise. Absolutely agree. And Hannah, one of our listeners actually is in chat right now and she had brought up some great examples of this in the MCU. And I, I want to point them out because she's absolutely right. We've seen it work. We've seen the gravity of Ant-Man. Um, when, you know, if he goes back to prison, he doesn't get to be a dad to his daughter. It's very real. It's very, very much felt. And it's one of the reasons that's one of my favorite films in the, in the entire MCU is because it's, it's a, it's a true to life realistic telling of that that story the the way that a dad would feel about potentially not being with his family and and so there's gravity to his actions there's the big one tony stark when she you know flies into the portal to save them at the end of avengers there's an entire movie that deals with the emotional fallout of that action and it's it's extremely depressing and heavy uh, as far as the MCU goes, that whole film. So there's examples of this. Um, Star Lord, there's he gives up his oxygen to Gamora. Like as far as we know, he's gonna die, and that's handled with this that weight to it. The film get, makes us feel like he very well may not live, but nothing 
in this movie ever made me feel like that. And so that was just, I, I, I agree. Like it's, it can be done and it has been done in the MCU, uh, Captain America and Bucky. And, and that's why people love the winter soldier, right? Because that relationship feels like that as well. Somebody's not going to make it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very, it's a very possible outcome. Um, and so even within the con- constraint can constraints, why can't I talk even within the, what's the word I'm looking for? Constraints. Even within the constraints of comic book superhero storytelling, where we are supposed to be going in knowing that things are going to work out in the end and that pretty much everybody's invincible. Even if it feels like they're not, you can make a movie in a way that still gives you that feeling. And that just wasn't the decision that they went with here. And Mm -hmm. it holds me back when, when I watch this and that's what makes it not memorable to me. It's why, because jokes are jokes, man. Jokes are funny, but no matter how funny you are, that's not something that I remember and that goes with me over years and years and years, but emotional storytelling beats do. Right. And well, I would halfway agree with that. I think there are two types of movies that stick with you. The ones that have emotional story beats that cause you to talk about certain scenes, give you connecting points, things like that. And then there are movies that are highly quotable. Your, um, uh, your, your Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There's nothing emotionally like deep about that film, but it's highly quotable. It's, there's a reason why shows like Mystery Science Theater 3000 exist because they're catering to in sort of a meta way, the jokes that should be in films because they're making fun of films themselves. And so they're sort of, <laughs> they're sort of saying, here's a drama. Let's find the comedy in it because it's so bad. But where I found issue was that I don't think the film knew what it was trying to do. I think, well, I think it did, but stick to one or stick to the other. If you're going to be a comedy, be a comedy. Don't, don't give us heavy handed drama or give us stakes that you're going to just poke fun at be a comedy and do that. I mean, there are comedies. I mean, there are clear cut, pure comedies out there that have stakes that I know I'm not going to care about period. They're just story beats that get me to the end. And that's the other big thing that I had issue with was that when you start throwing in what I see is probably uh, YTT's biggest strength. And I see why he does it, which is the fantastic comedic screenwriting. When you have that much of it, when you can't balance it, I feel like it hides what would be an otherwise blah storyline. It's almost like you're trying to cover up, Hey, this isn't a really compelling story. Like it's, if you took all the jokes out or if you took half the jokes out, would that be, would it make it any less entertaining? see, we don't know that because that's when we come to the, the art of subjectivity. The other thing that I, that I was thinking about was the idea of the spoilers in, in trailers. And you and I have had that conversation about how, People, you know, we, we don't want to see too many trailers because we, we risk spoilers. And it made me wonder if I hadn't seen the Hulk reveal, like if I'd gone into Thor Ragnarok blind, having never seen anything about it, would my appreciation increase by seeing that moment? And I admit that it probably would because it was a fantastic reveal. But because I knew it was coming, because I knew it was telegraphed early on, I was excited to see it, 
and I love the fight scene, but that would have probably been the high point of the movie for me. And so because I didn't get that, it made me wonder two things. One, um, would I have given this movie a higher star rating? Probably. And two, does having a reveal like that, having it increase my enjoyment, does that take away from the overall appreciation for the film itself? I don't know if that makes sense. I, I'm, I'm trying to say if the story's bland, you have to have these kind of big moments to make me feel good and right. make me go, wow, that was good. But because I'd already seen that, I think it kind of revealed to me that, man, the story's not really that great. But I think, I think that's in the filmmakers. I mean, I think in their eyes, it is right. Mm -hmm. They have to believe. I mean, we start, it's a very myth mythologically heavy movie. And I liked that. I liked that they really went deep into the North Norse mythology and pulled some of this stuff out. Now I've been told that uh, Hela is not actually the brother or sorry, it's not the sister of Thor and Loki. She's, I don't know. She's some, like she thinks she's the sister of Odin or something, but in you know, relatively speaking, they used actual Norse mythology to build this. And so I liked that it was grounded in that. And you have attempted storylines that are really intriguing, like the idea of Valkyrie, this fallen warrior who's got PTSD because she's seen her entire race of warriors slaughtered. Um in the, in the past who doesn't want to go back and fight because she can't face that again. But up until the end, she's portrayed as just this kind of bumbling, laughable alcoholic. And I, I get that that's the stereotype for PTSD, but come on, like you couldn't do that in a way that was more, I don't know, fair to her character than just making her a raging alcoholic. Cause that's, I mean, they, they banged that home over and over and over. She was drinking all the time. Um, and then you have the Thor and the Loki storyline of, you know, are they ever going to be able to not be enemies and work together? And you go through this whole thing back and forth. And of course they're not. And I never even, you know, I don't even feel like Loki's doing it for the right reasons in the end. Yeah, sure. He's there battling and he's helping, like, what else is he going to do, man? He can't go anywhere. There's nowhere else for him to go. He right. can't. So he's only there because he, you know, and I think they try to make us have this warm, fuzzy moment between Thor and Loki. And I didn't have that at all. Um, I, I guess I'm just, I'm not as high on their relationship as some have been. Um, and I, so I think it, and overall, this idea of Asgard being a people, not a place and that she wants to destroy it and start over. That is a heavy storyline, mm -hmm. but it just, I just don't think that they, I, it, it all boils down to what we've talked about the whole episode. They, yeah. they, they took a serious story, multiple serious stories and they wrapped them all up in a comedy. Yeah. Instead of taking comedic stories and wrapping them up. And to your point about n reveals, I too would have had a little bit of a better experience had Hulk been a, a surprise in the movie. I think that their attempt at that was Dr. Strange to pull him because I was not expecting him. That was totally a surprise to me, but it was, I didn't care for it. I mean, I didn't care for Dr. Strange movie either, but like it, it was just goofy and kind of very much a cameo, you know, mm -hmm. but I know a lot of people went nuts. I mean, I had people like, 
freaking out and whistling and hitting me next to me because they were so excited to see Doctor Strange in this movie. And I think that's what the MCU is. The MCU is a, a franchise of movies, a universe of films that generally just makes people have that. It, they thrive in our current hype culture. That's where they live. They don't care if you remember them in six months because the next one's out. So mm-hmm. they're not trying to be long. They're not trying to have this longevity. They're, they're not trying to be Nolan's Batman trilogy that can right. stand for the, the, the all of time. Who cares? They're going to move phase one's over. We're moving on to phase two people. It's the infinity war. Like it's a constantly, it's a machine. And I, I, I think that you see that in the tone of the films. I absolutely agree. And I think that Thor Ragnarok takes us to a, an extreme version of that where we have characters that have been established. They have, they have somewhat of a history and I'm, I'm talking about just the Thor world, the world of Thor, not the world of the MCU as a whole, but we have these characters that are immediately just thrown away in terms of their value, not just killed off. I mean, some are, but they're immediately just kind of gone. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for playing. I'm glad that you, you were part of this and now uh, you're done. So in, in a lot of ways, if, if we think of the MCU as a whole, where characters are like, okay, you were part of phase one. We don't really need you anymore. Thor Ragnarok just sort of does this over the course of its film. Just says, okay, we're done with you. Okay, we're done with you. Okay, we're done with you. And even the sacrificial moments that we have, if you could call them that, didn't feel like sacrificial moments. They felt like a sense of, okay, your character's done. Let's just toss you with the garbage. And, you know, hopefully we can recast somebody else to kind of fill in the gaps of what your character was doing. And, and I get frustrated with that. I get frustrated with the fact that because I've seen it in the past, even characters that weren't important still were cared for in their respective films, supporting characters were cared for in their respective films. And Ragnarok just felt like a sandbox of like, we can just get rid of anybody. I mean, this is potentially Thor's last movie. So let's just get rid of Asgard. Let's get rid of uh, Thor's friends. Let's just kind of destroy this, whatever. And there was no rhyme or reason to why. I mean, Ragnarok, I guess, was the explanation of it. But none of it made me feel like, ah, I lost something. No, me either. And I, but I, you know, there are things I like about the movie. So I don't want to, I don't want to just talk. I mean, we're, we're not really bashing on it either. We're, we're more talking about the tone of filmmaking in general that this universe is really trending toward. This is an example of, <laughs> you know, versus it's such a, it's such an odd experience, Patrick, because we, we both go to the movie and we both enjoyed our two hours in the theater. Yeah. And, absolutely. and we came out and, you know, it's a movie that I don't mind paying for. It's a movie that I'm, I took my kids to. It was, there's with the exception of one absolutely ridiculously unnecessary sex joke. And I have no idea why it was in there. Like there was one sexual reference joke. Um, and I just was like, why? Like it doesn't, you don't even need that there. But, um, you know, it was, it, it's fun. I liked Valkyrie as a character other than the alcoholic part of her. Like once she got past that and she joined the team, I, I love that idea of her character. And I like, I love Tessa Thompson in that role. She's an amazing actress. I want to see more of her and I would like to see more of her in the MCU. She would be fun, a fun character. Um, the director, Waititi steals the show to, for me as Korg, the rock thing. Like it's, he is so hilarious. His character in this movie, 
reminded me of what we do in the shadows just constantly, you know, another day, another Doug. I mean, he just, he's, he's cracks one liners, but he's, his comedic timing shows you why YTD is a master at that genre. Just right there. Um, even though at first I thought he was Charlito Copley <laughs> and Chappy, uh, right? <laughs> and from, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then I realized he, he was, uh, Australian, not South African, although they do sound similar, but like, Lots of characters in here that are okay. They're they're just not quite there. Uh, Goldblum, right, is awesome, the awesome. He's awesome. Like he's, of course, he's awesome. He's Jeff Goldblum. He's like playing he's a himself. He's playing. He himself. is playing himself, and he's a national treasure, and he's wonderful. Yeah. And and so all of those things are are neat and fun. And then okay, and I, and I really do. I think it boils down to that idea of. Okay, well, then you know what? In February, Black Panther's coming out. Like, as soon as you walk out of this movie, in fact, that's what the culture of these teasers at the end have become. You're walking out of this movie, and you're not even thinking about Thor anymore. You're thinking about Infinity War next May mm-hmm. or Black Panther next February. Like, they're they're coming out four months or five months apart now. They're just bam, back to back to back to back. And so, who cares if they really remember Thor? Everybody, like, it, they're gonna come pay to see Black Panther. And I, hey, but it said Thor will be back in the Infinity War. So I'm just letting you know. I know you probably missed that, but I did miss that actually. And I, Thor will be back. And I want to, I want to bring up another thing that I, I found for myself that recently has come to to my knowledge, and I think this is part of what affects my personal lack of enthusiasm for the superhero genre right now. Overall, with the exception of a few specific films, I am finding myself much more likely to enjoy fully and remember and be invested in solo character arcs. It's why I love the Batman trilogy. I love Ant-Man. I really like Spider-Man Homecoming. I like all of the Iron Man movies quite a bit. These are not movies that have ensemble casts that they're really trying to do a lot with different characters. Thor kind of could have been that way, but it brings in all these little side characters, a lot of them, you know, Valkyrie and, and, and Korg, and then brings in the Hulk. And so he has to deal with Loki constantly. But like, I've noticed that the more tuned into one or two heroes they are, the more personal it gets. And that's really what, attracts me more to the movies. Um, and, and so, you know, it's part of what I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for black Panther in that regard, because there's not a whole bunch of other characters from the MCU that we know are going to be joining this. There are some new ones that we're going to meet, but there are people within his world that are surrounding his character. And so it's going to really, really be focused in on, on his character. And I think, that's the one that's one I'm more likely to enjoy because I'm not yes, Hannah, perfect. Exactly. Solo arcs have permanence. I agree. I agree. And well, and, and I've noticed that recently. So let's go back to phase one real quick. And the the fascination that we had with your Iron Man. Um I'm gonna even throw in the, in the Incredible Hulk because I enjoyed that. I thought it was a I thought it was a really well made movie. I agree. Um and and then you have um you have Captain America and then you have Thor. You have these individual movies that whose strength was not only in their newness, like, oh, 
we're getting all these great characters, but the potential that they had to connect. And this is where the teasers at the end really got their popularity was we wanted to see these characters together. Okay. And so I think we're at a point in phase. Are we in phase three? I can't, I don't remember. We're still in phase two. I thought we were in phase one. No, no. I'm, I'm saying like right now, I think we're in I phase two. I thought phase two was infinity war. I don't know. Anyway. See, I don't, that's, that's a problem. But you're exactly <laughs> right. So in a lot of ways, um, we get to the point when we talk about a, a world that gets kind of too big for its britches, where you have so many things that you're having to manage. And I think for the most part, the MCU has done a great job of managing its characters, of being able to find balance in these team-ups where everybody gets a gets a piece of the a piece of the pie. There's a there's a great scene in the Avengers where the camera is isolating each one of these uh these characters, showing them kind of fighting off the um the alien race. And I thought it was great. Uh, that was one of my favorite scenes in that movie because what it did was it said, this is how you handle an ensemble cast. This is how one or two characters don't become the standouts. Although the Hulk became, I mean, he was the standout character in, in that movie to me. But what I think you've, you have now is you have all these movies and you have character B showing up in character J's movie as a, as kind of a, Hey, here's a cameo. And you know, like much like Dr. Strange did Um, the Hulk in Thor, I think was more of a, you know, more of a story generator at that point because we're trying to get to the whole planet Hulk type thing. But what I'm seeing is that the Marvel universe has gotten so big that nothing's really a surprise anymore. Nothing feels fresh. And I think when we get to solo films, what solo films do is they not only isolate characters that you've grown to kind of appreciate on their own, but new characters. I think there's a reason why we're both kind of looking forward to Black Panther. This is a new character. We didn't see a lot of his arc in, in Civil War. We got kind of hints of it as a supporting character. And now we get to flesh out that world that he lives in. As a result, the Marvel cinematic universe is getting bigger. Now it's getting even wider. And I would agree. I think when you focus on an individual character, you're getting more invested in that character. You're not distracted by characters, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, you know, whatever. And you have that character has value. And for, for you and I both, when we like a balance of drama and comedy and weight and emotional connection, um, those solo movies provide a lot more because we're not being torn in 15 different ways uh, to say, oh, well, am I supposed to latch onto this character or that character or whatever? Because all of it, it just becomes kind of a mishmash. So, And I, and I will also say I, I'm hoping that the trend for me continues because the Avengers is still one of my favorites because of the experience I had at the time. Now revisiting now, I don't have the same feeling, but it was the first team up of the Avengers. Um, the same thing happened with guardians of the galaxy. That first one is so high on my list. It's so impactful for me because we didn't have those characters before they were all together. It was this great ensemble. It's, it's when they start reoccurring over and over and over that you start kind of like, okay, now we've seen them team up with these and now we're seeing them team up with them. And now they're back teaming up again together. And Oh, Thor and Loki are together every single movie and in every single Avenger, you know, and we start, it's that repetitiveness. And so Mm -hmm. for that reason, I'm still hopeful 
that Justice League will be okay for me because it's going to be the first time we see Aquaman, the first time we see Cyborg, the first time we really get to see the, the Flash and then Batman and Wonder Woman all working. To, we haven't seen them in this kind of role before. Right. We've seen plenty right. of Thor and Hulk together mm-hmm. um, in other movies. Right. And so I'm still hopeful that this isn't going to be a problem in Justice League. Now, if you give me a Justice League 2, the very same issue could occur. Who knows? I mean, you know, unless you unless you unless you give a different amount of weight to something else, in, unless the story itself is compelling. And that's, that's what I'm, if I'm it follows the Marvel formula, well, if Wayne's writing it, okay. Well, okay. Here's what I'm saying. Everybody loved the Avengers. Not everybody loved Age of Ultron, and so what you have is not that Age of Ultron wasn't a great story. It is, by the way. I've read the comic, and it's fantastic. And I know that these stories are adapted. It's not true to form. Civil War was not a true to form page for page adaptation of the comic. What I, what I sense is that the hype that Avengers had, and I got to tell you, I still remember my midnight showing of Avengers and walking out going, welcome to summer, everybody. That was fantastic because you're right. We'd never seen a team up of all these great characters that we have grown up with on television and comics we got to see it and then age of ultron happened and it received kind of a meh okay i mean like the people that i've talked to consider it one of the lesser popular marvel films like it has all these you know has this problem and that problem i think one of the issues is we've already seen this we just have a different villain the villain what to me wasn't compelling enough i think in the first avengers you didn't need a, a you didn't need a villain that was going to be completely like, wow, you just need to see these guys fight. <laughs> and they were fighting aliens. I mean, who hasn't seen a movie like that where people are fighting aliens? I mean, we have, we've seen that movie over and over again. So in, in terms of like the justice league, I'm not really worried too much about the villain. I am worried about who the villain would be in the sequel to justice league because the, the wow factor of these guys together is now gone. And now you need to give me something where, I'm now more intrigued with the story and the ensemble cast and the justice league or the Avengers or whoever it is become the supporting focus of that great story. And I think that's kind of, kind of what was echoed in Thor was we got a meh villain and we were just kind of playing off of, Oh, those guys are really funny together and they're fighting and and great stuff. And you know, that didn't really sit well with me. Yeah. Me either, man. And it, and it's too bad, but it, you know, I still, I I even I tried to wrap my review up on a positive note because, as it sounds like listening to this conversation, that we're very negative on it, and I mean, truthfully, we both wanted something different and we wanted something more, and we didn't get that. But for what it's trying to do, and you know, with its comedy, it is hilarious. And the aesthetic is there mm-hmm. and the tone inside the tone with reference to the comedy portions. Um, it's committed fully and it is fun. It is entertaining. It is visually striking and it is an awesome experience to watch. Um, so longevity and long-term value and emotional impact aside, it's still a great movie that I would recommend for people to go see or a, a very good movie that I would recommend people go see. Um, yeah. but I mean, what we do here is we 
we're emotional beings and that's what we talk about. <laughs> and so for us, clearly, you know, it's, it's hard for the, it's hard for this one because it just doesn't give us that. Well, let me just say this in terms of, of emotion, right. I could not really get my head or my heart around, um, much of the movie, but there's a lot to be said about laughter. And there's a lot to be said about the fact that when you're constantly just giggling in your seat and you're looking at the person to your left and right, and they're both, and you're both laughing at the same jokes. I mean, there's a sense of camaraderie there, obviously, but that's part of the movie experience. I mean, I had a fantastic movie experience. I'm laughing along with these guys from the very beginning. We're getting this, this, this monologue, what we think is a, well, I guess it's a monologue. It's maybe it's, it's, we think it's a soliloquy where Thor's talking to us and he's really talking to this dead skeleton. And then, you know, he's having this, this like dramatic moment with, with, um, I don't even remember the, the guy, the, you know, fire dude, um, fire demon. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it reminds me of Diallo. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was and, he, with and he keeps turning around. He's like, wait, hold on. I'm coming around again. These are things that, that are hilarious to me. And we need more Awatiti humor in, in film. And I think that if, if I put him on my, on a writing staff in more MCU stuff, I would be more than uh, satisfied because I think what he brings is a sense of, you know, you're going to get funny. And if we need some levity in a moment like this and a moment like that, let's bring in some of his humor because he does it so well. I mean, it does not surprise me that he played Korg because Korg was probably the funniest of the characters to me. I just, I mean, I can't stop laughing thinking about the moments that, that he had in the movie. But I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that you can walk away from a movie just feeling good. And, and I think a lot of people that enjoy the movie, I think that's what they pulled away from it. Is it, oh gosh, I felt good when I left the movie theater. I didn't feel like I was bothered by the world's problems. I didn't feel like I was being told, Hey, this is a metaphor for what's going on in America or what's going on in Africa or, or whatever. This is a movie that just, it, it made you feel good. And I think that, that humor has a lot to do with that. Obviously when you can laugh and you can laugh in community like that, you can walk away saying, Man, that was a lot of fun. And there's nothing wrong and there shouldn't be anything wrong with that at all. That's completely, completely valid. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's, it's like the room. I was talking about the room at the beginning of this podcast. It's a, that communal experience of laughing together out loud is therapeutic and it 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 is relaxing. It just it can it can really put you in a good mood. And that's one of the cool things about this movie is that when you walk out of it, you're happy. Generally speaking, you're happy. You're, you're smiling and you're remembering the one liners. And so for that, for that alone, you know, it, it gets points <laughs> in, in, the, and, and as to YTD being a great writer, if anybody listening has not seen YTD's previous films, check out what we do in the shadows first because it's incredible. It's amazing. It is like, I don't like spoof movies, but it is the best spoof movie I think I'm out of ever. It's wonderful. And it's getting a sequel. So you need to see it soon or before the sequel, at least. And then he had a movie that came out last year that I have not seen, but I know many, many, many fans of called, um, the hunt for the wilderness people, which I still need to catch up with. Uh, it's supposed to be very, very good as well. So if you like the humor in this, check out those two films because Waititi was an indie filmmaker before. And I think it's one thing that is cool is I love that Marvel took the chance and allowed him to do this. So, whether it was a win or not for me, I appreciate them 
doing it and taking that risk. Um, because I would rather see that happen than just have the same directors doing things over and over and over again. Well, with that being said, it, it leads into our, <laughs> our last portion of our, of our show, our connecting point. And I think it goes without saying that we really didn't have one for, for this movie, uh, not to the movie's discredit, but for, for a couple of guys who do really emphasize a sense of emotional connection to film, I could probably call out a ton of different comedic moments that, that made me laugh out loud. And I've already said the importance of that, but in terms of finding something that really stood out, something that said, wow, that was a, that was a moment that will, that will stick with me for a long time. It helped inform the rest of the movie. Um, unfortunately I could not find one. I could not, um, in good conscience, try to make one up for the sake of the show. I mean, it's okay. Every movie does make us feel something. This made me feel happy. It doesn't necessarily equal that we'll find a connecting point. And, uh, um, it's difficult for me to say that because I wanted to, I want to be able to say, Hey, we can, we can find something. Uh, we can find that, uh, that diamond in the rough or, or those things. And, um, but I did not have one. Well, me either. So this is a, this is a very much a first <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> and frankly, I mean, I struggled with this and I thought long and hard about how I needed to try and force something. Like there has to be an emotional and it, you know, thinking back on our conversation just now, I could probably say my connecting point was the fact that I walked out of the theater laughing and firing off some one liners for the next hour like that. that but it, to also sim somewhat feels disingen disingenuous to the the heart of what the connecting point is mm -hmm. and it, it's a matter of positive honesty that we always talk about and, and I didn't have one either I couldn't there was no moment that resonated enough that I felt impacted um and I as as we talked about and we mentioned some of those scenes for me the ones that came close were with Banner and Thor and I thought they were going to do it or the banner and Thor scene there. And then also banners jumping off scene that probably, that was going to be it. I mean, I was, I was holding my breath and I was feeling very, very invested until he bounced off of the bridge. And I just was like, man, why? Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, I'm not going to force it either. And, uh, it is what it is on this one. <laughs> I, just, I hope that doesn't happen again. I, I don't, I, I don't foresee it happening. I think that's more of an exception to the rule. And, um, you know, I, I think more than anything, we we found a place where we could find genuine balance with um, enjoying a film, but not necessarily pulling something away from it that is incredibly important. And again, if that was the emphasis, if this was a, if the point of this movie was what I would hope was what I think it would be, which is like, hey, it's a comedy with a serviceable plot that pushes our characters from point A to point B, then it did what it was designed to do. And, and that's okay with me. I'm, I'm fine with that. I wish it were more memorable. I wish that I could put this in the pantheon of like, Hey, this was a very, you know, stamp it Marvel film. It's right there with them. Uh, but just because it's not for me, doesn't mean it can't be for everybody else. You know, one of our contributors, Steve Clifton, it's one of his top five and kudos, man. I think that's fantastic. And I love the fact that movies can be that subjective, that 
I can sit next to a person who has a completely different opinion of a movie like this, because that says a lot about who we are and what we appreciate and what we, what we like and what we don't like. And that's what makes movies connectable is because one movie can connect to one person and another movie can connect to another. So um, I think in that way, it was very successful. Yep. Gotta agree. Well, I think that's about it for, for this episode. Um, thank you guys for listening in the chat. Uh, Hannah, thank you for your contributions. And um, we appreciate everybody listening as of right now and everybody that's going to listen when we drop this episode. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can always uh, find us online. Uh, you can find me at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also find out more about me at thisispatch.com. I've got some writing there along with some other stuff that you can find out more about. Next week, I'm really, really excited. Andrew Dice from Screen Rant is going to be joining us for Justice League. He's kind of our resonant, hey, we're covering a DC movie. Why don't you come on the show? Okay, I'll do that guy. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, we're both looking forward to having him on. And look for a mini-sode later this week. We both got a chance to see Murder on the Orient Express. I'm excited to talk about that with you. So we'll be dropping that probably on Friday of this week. Aaron, what about you? Where can people find you? Well, you can always find me all over the internet at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And also tweeting from the Feelin' Film Twitter account. Uh, and you can find me in the Facebook group. I'm very active there. That's uh, linked in the show notes of every episode and also linked on the front page of the website, vlanfilm.com. If you just scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a link there. We would love to have all of you join the Facebook group where lots of awesome discussion happens throughout every single week. And yeah, just uh, we hope you enjoy the show and keep listening. And if you do enjoy the show, Feel free to pop over to iTunes and give us a star rating. Uh, put some nice words down if you are so inclined. That's always great as, as well. Um, if you listen on Stitcher, leave a review there. If you live, listen on Google Play, you know, leave a review there. Uh, it, it's a very helpful for podcasts to, in the growth aspect if uh, people can see positive reviews and a high number of those. So if you do enjoy it, we would love to have your support in that way. All right, man. Well, thanks again for everybody for listening. Aaron, as always, love the conversation. And we will see you guys next time. But until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.